Welcome to Always Need to Smell, the podcast. I'm David. I'm Nate. Today we are joined by Renee Patton, a co-chair of the Edgewater Environmental Coalition, previously known as the Edgewater Environmental Sustainability Project. Renee has a passion for working in nature and for the environment. She is an extremely active member of the community, looking to help cultivate the environmental community and create change in many different ways through projects and programs offered by the EEC. Along with being a co-chair with the EEC, Renee is a co-site lead at Montrose Metric Community Gardens in Sunnyside, Savannah, and the Chicago Park District uh, site steward at Austerman Beach's natural area. She is also a certified tree keeper in Edgewater. Welcome, Renee. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Renee Patton. I am one of the three co-chairs of the Edgewater Environmental Coalition, along with Trisha Van Eck and Brian Hagg. And we are a local community organization that's been around for 10 years that does projects on the ground across Edgewater um, and advocates for sustainability and climate and equitability related legislation. Thank you so much for joining us today. To start off, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the recent name change? It was previously the Edgewater Environmental Sustainability uh, Project and now it is the Edgewater Environmental Coalition. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, we went through a rebrand rename um, over this past COVID winter. That was really exciting and brought us up to date with how our organization is currently operating and working together as a coalition. So the organization itself has been around for over 10 years. Uh, We started as part of the Edgewater Community Council. And then in 2008, um, we formed the people that founded the organization formed the Edgewater Environmental Sustainability Project. Um, And they had this wonderful 40 page document that was heavy on community input about how we were going to move Edgewater to be a sustainable community for the future. And they, the people in the group from 2008 and through now have worked very tirelessly uh, and diligently on making that happen. Um, But in the current reality of things, we were no longer a project. I'm a project manager in my day job and a project has a beginning, a middle of an end. And the work that we're doing now, it's, it's sustaining it's ongoing. Um, and we're, we're just not a project anymore. So now we've like transitioned from being a project to being a full community organization with continuing into the future um, <laughs> for all the work that we're doing. And uh, as you are president of uh, this coalition, could you tell us a little bit about uh, what made you want to take on this role? Sure. Uh, So just to clarify, I'm a co-chair along with two other co-chairs, but president president sounds nice as well. (laughs) Um, So um, I took on this role uh, about two years ago um, because I went to school for environmental public policy. I've always been an environmentalist, did a bunch of river and cleanup stuff with my dad when I was young, and he just has always ingrained a care for the environment and our non-human kin within me. And I did a lot of climate advocacy, really big scale work in college. And that gets very disheartening, very easy when we're looking at like international agreements and slowness at the federal level. And I transitioned to like, okay, I want to do stuff on the ground. I want to work on getting bike lanes installed. I want to work on getting plants planted. I want to work on making our local communities more resilient because I believe that the change that we need to see is building up our local communities and and making our our communities be able to care for themselves because the climate crisis is not getting any easier or better looking ahead. And we need to be there for each other on the ground where we live. 
And that's what, that's what EC does. Like, and I found this group of people by doing the Chicago Conservation Court Sustainability Leadership Training Series. They're currently accepting applications for fall of this year. It's a really great organization done by the Chicago Academy of Sciences and the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. So I was out there looking to do a project in the community and found what was in the Edgewater Environmental Sustainability Project and found a bunch of like-minded people that really care about the community, really care about the earth and our world. And it was just, it was just like a perfect fit and started going to the meetings and got the feel of things. And it's just a really great group of people. And, you know, we get, we get stuff done and we have really enlightening conversations and uh, learn things and just our wealth of knowledge to have to, to know. So for the past 10 years, the uh, EECP uh, has been bringing environmental uh, issues to, uh, to the forefront in Edgewater and now the EEC. Um, you guys have, you folks have done so much for the community. What are some of the issues right now that you're working on uh, in a community that is really, I wouldn't say for the most part, but there are quite a few folks who live in Edgewater that have environmental at the forefront of their mind and their everyday practice. What are some of the things that you're working on now? Yes, so we do everything sustainability and environment related. We do water, we do waste, we do stewardship and green space, um, we do transportation, we do energy. So we are a place where anyone in the community that's any topic related to sustainability or the environment can come. And the way that we work is that we really, involve our membership or other community organizations coming to us and saying, we care about this topic and we want to do something about it. So the two issues or topics that bring people in the most are green space and stewardship and waste issues. Um, that seems to be what, you know, we sent out surveys and that's what most people are engaged with. So some examples of that are, we did this amazing native plant project with the Andersonville Chamber, which is like one of the reasons that we're here together today to talk about that. Um, and this is in the planter boxes along Clark Street, um, working with David from Chamber, who's here with us, and uh, City Grange, and turning those planters into native habitats. And this was something that we worked with the group to find, like in City Grange, to say, okay, what species are appropriate? What will work in planter boxes for native species versus in natural areas and in the ground? And then the, where EEC came in was uh, really around the education. Um, if you've walked down Clark, you might've seen these native plant live here signs that are in the planter boxes that have a QR code. And the QR code takes you to a website where you can learn all about the benefits of na native species, um, about the specific species that are in the planter boxes themselves and about, and, th and there's resources there for how to plant your own native species. What are appropriate in sun? What are appropriate in, in shade? What are all the benefits? Um, so that was one example of like an issue that, or issue or topic that EC is super passionate about in a way that we brought that to fruition in the community. It was an absolutely wonderful project because coming into the role at the chamber, we had these massive five foot planters that had these massive trees that were just soaking up water and nutrients and nothing else could grow. Um, and the planters themselves are, it's uh, a program that's overseen by the SSA 22, um, really going down the line and saying, what's going to be sustainable? What is going to be financially responsible? And this past year with 
uh, everything going on, it just made the most sense to scrape all the planters um, and plant almost 90 to 95% natives. You are gonna find a few of the smoke bushes that are non-natives, but um, you're still gonna get flowers, flowering plants and shrubs and uh, just wonderful little moments along Clark Street. Yeah, and the really nice thing about these native plants is that they'll come back every year. They need less water once they're established. They don't need fertilizer. Uh, the bugs and the birds really like them. Maybe you've seen a monarch butterfly or two on them. Um, and then when the native plants are in the ground, they also help with stormwater flooding, really deep roots um, can absorb a lot of water and help erosion and help keep the soil in place with their really sturdy roots. Absolutely. And it's actually um, kind of kicked off a way to kind of transform uh, Parkway into these uh, flower fields and native uh, lands to come back to what they were originally instead of just having grass that is usually brown because it's it's uh, relies on rain or uh, the joining business to take care of it. Uh, so we've identified at least six areas within the Clark Street corridor that we can start doing these um, transitions. And I look forward to doing it with you with over the next year. Yeah, and you see right now we are in experimentation phase of a Parkway for Pollinators project to figure out what really works for parkways. In the past, we've done corner gardens where people in the neighborhood, you know, if you're walking around, you've seen like the beautiful corner gardens between the sidewalk and the street, but people are, they're like fully in bloom and look amazing right now. Uh, and we're trying to apply that to longer stretches of parkway. And we're currently figuring out, okay, what works, what doesn't work? How can we apply a template and guidance to help other places institute these? And um, as an exciting part of that project, we are actually working with Loyola University's greenhouse and they are going to be planting native plant starters for us. So we'll have plugs and we're currently building a distribution network. So starting next spring, if you have a public garden or you're caring for a parkway, uh, a community garden, anywhere that's a public, a public garden or park, uh, will be able to distribute free native plants throughout the community starting next spring. I don't know if I actually told you that yet, David, but that is a, that's an exciting thing that we're working on related to that as well. Oh, that's huge. That's absolutely wonderful. How often do you partner with uh, such institutions like Loyola? Because they're a huge cornerstone in, cornerstone in our neighborhood. Yeah, their School of Sustainability has been great. Um, we have interns, uh, usually from Loyola. We have two current Loyola student interns with us uh, that just started a couple of weeks ago that we're really excited to have. Um, I mean, we're a coalition, so partnerships are like at the base of everything that we do. We just redid our strategic plan for the next five or 10 years and continuing to build partnerships, continuing to build our coalition uh, is I mean, that's just like, that's how we do anything. That's how we get anything done. And we've been around for so long that we have so many great connections with, with large, with long, deep roots in the community from the Edgewater Religious Community Association, Loyola, the, our elected officials, the chambers, um, and, you know, block clubs and people that do other, that are involved in other community organizations, uh, tree keepers, for example, people that care for trees in the neighborhood that are all over the city, but you know, we know all of them in Edgewater. We have all their emails. We communicate with them about things. I was going to say, congratulations. Aren't you a recent tree keeper? 
Yeah, I, I went through the Tree Keepers program right before COVID and we just, I just did my first Tree Keepers grant um, this spring and we got 20 trees planted in Edgewater through open lands. Um, and then the, we, we got another one for this fall. Um, so we'll be doing more tree plantings and we're currently accepting signups for locations. We're trying to get 25 spots working with the Chicago Region Trees Initiative and Open Lands. So uh, go to our website, there is a link for a tree request and we need, we need those tree requests. We wanna get trees planted. You can also do that through 311, which goes to the ward offices and you can also pull those because I, am, I have about 53 service requests on my 311 app alone. <laughs> and they do get done, which is great. Yeah, and it's a we work in both those programs. They all funnel into the Department of Forestry, so they're all going and ultimately ended up in the same place. So you can submit in both places, um, and and it, it will get done uh, as soon as Department of Forestry can facilitate it for us. As you do have so much experience um, working with the environment, do you remember your first moment when you realized that you wanted to engage uh, predominantly working within the environment? I know this might be a difficult question thinking back, but. Yeah, I think it's always been a part of me, but when I realized that something I wanted to do for more of a livelihood or more professionally, I also, um, for my day job, the job I get paid for because EEC is an all-volunteer organization, I am a project manager for an event company, and I do sustainability management work for them, so like greenhouse gas accounting and reporting, so sustainability reporting, like more of a professional side of climate change work, um, so I think that all came about probably when I was like a freshman in college, I went to DePaul and I was, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to major in and stumbled across environmental public policy. And it was just a direct alignment that I could do something that I was passionate about and care about and actually make change in the world. So DePaul was great, like helping me figure that out. Um, maybe I should have gone to Loyola and I probably have a better school of sustainability than DePaul did. Um, but yeah, I was through that college experience. Especially for youths looking to get involved um, in environmental policy, do you have any advice for them? So there are a lot of great programs in Chicago, like the, that I mentioned, the Nature Museum. I don't work super closely with youth myself. Um, we have great partnerships with schools. So I know that there are a lot of great curriculum in our local public schools. Um, I've spoken with both Sin and Hyatt Elementary, H-A-Y-T, um, and they are both really interested in, you know, having robust science curriculum that teaches students about climate and the earth and EEC. We've done a lot of work with them, like tree plantings, and we're actually uh, next week, uh, we're giving incoming freshmen tours of the Vegwater Community Garden and the natural area at Osterman Hollywood Beach. So I think just getting the kids out into the environments, you know, we're, they're going to be walking around the community. Uh, they're going to be learning about plants and the benefits and what volunteering is like, we're going to get them to pull a little bit of weeds while they're out there um, and, and talk about why natural areas and gardens are great. Um, so maybe, maybe the experience you know, like getting out there and actually getting your hands a little dirty um, and seeing what it's all about. That actually is one of the ways that I got so interested in the environment is in high school, they had cleaned the rivers and we'd actually get to go into the Chicago River and pull out all of this nasty stuff that was there. And I'm pretty sure our biology teacher wasn't allowed to really let us go in, but we did anyways. Um, but you're absolutely right. It's getting your hands dirty and participating and realizing that um, these problems are out there and it's up to us to clean them up. It's not up to anyone else. 
Yeah, so. that's, that's what I still love doing. So we do, I mean, monthly EC does litter. We have a litter free Edgewater crew. So we have a, over 55 people, 55 blocks in the community that we send out reminders for everybody to get out and clean up their block once a month. So I'm out there and you're wearing gloves, but you're still getting your hands dirty. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm a huge gardener. I have nine raised beds uh, around my apartment. Um, I have a mutual aid garden in the front of my apartment. So if you're ever walking by and you see a sign for a mutual aid garden, feel free to pluck some strawberries or lemongrass or lemon verbena or oregano off it. Um, it's there for the community, but I love gardening and getting my hands dirty. And I guess I've done that my whole life too, to your point, like done, done clean up since I was a kid. So uh, I just want to touch base on, we've worked together for the planters in Andersonville. Is there any other businesses within the uh, Clark Street corridor uh, that's doing uh, environmental sustainability, uh, either projects or initiatives uh, currently? Yes, In Fine Spirits, my favorite wine shop. Uh, spent way too much money yes. there over the pandemic, but not in fact, it was all delicious, so it was not a waste of money. Um, uh, so uh, through EC and the Chicago Conservation Corps giving us some funding, uh, In Fine Spirits has a cork recycling paracycle bin. Uh, they are, it got fully filled up within a month. So they are ordering their second one <laughs> uh, imminently. Um, but cork is a highly reusable, recyclable material that is not accepted in Chicago blue bins. Paracycle is a company that allow, facilitates the recycling of non-recyclable tip standard material. So you can even recycle cigarette butts with them. You can re recycle office supplies. Um, you can get bins for a variety of things. So I uh, reached out to Infine Spirits to see if they would, we reached out to Infine Spirits to see if they would be interested. And they have actually been holding on to their corks since Whole Foods stopped accepting corks. So they were like so happy to have a solution. Um, and we got it set up this summer. So you can take your corks to Infine Spirits and uh, buy some amazing wine and spirits while you're there as well. I love that. We have a, a wine event coming up in October, as we normally have it for um, in May. We should definitely incorporate that uh, to get like discounted tickets if you bring in your cork. Yeah, love it. Because I'm sure they're all in everyone's junk drawer. Yep. I, I had a bag <laughs> of them in my closet. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, one yeah, of the things uh, well, me, can I build on that like so we're Absolutely. always open to new projects um, collaborating if any businesses hearing this are interested in something similar or you just need resources or knowledge on environmental issues that are, you don't know the answers to things like you know we're here to be a thought partner and think things through and be a knowledge base we have so many knowledgeable people that are involved with the organization so uh, we are here to be a part of the community and help businesses as well. Which actually segues into our next topic, which is composting and um, the Andersonville corridor, as it uh, had once been one of the first neighborhoods to compost, uh, mostly with restaurants, uh, using um, a compost program that the Eco Andersonville, which is now the Andersonville Sustainable Community Alliance, uh, started and then um, due to lack of staffing was handed to Urban Canopy um, to take over and they've just run with it. They're doing fantastic work with it. Um, we're hoping to bring it back uh, either this year, if not early next year, of incorporating waste not compost, 
which is a zero emissions compost company over in Ravenswood. Um, a lot of our residents use it. We use it here at the office, uh, along with block bins, urban canopy. Uh, this desire to compost and bring food from farm back to soil has really been uh, a mission for a lot of Edgewater residents this year. Um, do you compost? And what's your favorite thing about composting? Yes, I definitely compost. My favorite thing about composting is that my trash does not smell. So I can take my trash out way less often. Um, I have used Urban Canopy and I currently use Waste Not because they have the zero emissions trucks, which I really value and is very cool. Um, there's also a collective resource in the neighborhood as well. Um, they're an Edgewater based company as well. Um, but yeah, composting is great. I waste not is at the farmer's market. So it's like super easy to sign up there, which is great. Um, and I just started to try to do composting in my backyard too, which this is the third time I'm going to try. I have not succeeded the first two times I've tried. So I still use the regular compost for the meats, the cheeses, for the heavier stuff, the stuff I can't chop off really small and put in my backyard bin. That's awesome. Uh, I've always thought about vermiculture, um, but then I have waste not and it's so, just so easy. I've also tried permaculture and I killed all the worms <laughs> under my sink. So just going to go with the professionals that, yes. you know, have the machinery and have the facilities to do it. Exactly. It's like set it and forget it. Um, oh, but I wanted to, I wanted to mention sure. for the eco Andersonville stuff, when I was in college, mm -hmm. I actually did a report on eco Andersonville because at the time it was like the, the, the only neighborhood in Chicago that was really taking an effort to do stuff on sustainability and I, I think I already lived here at the time and then found that out. And it was just, it was super cool. And, and I've lived in Andersonville ever since. So. I love it. It should be part of our tourism, um, which is also a, another fun fact is the Andersonville was the first neighborhood for on-street recycling. I mean, now our bins are a little archaic and we're working on updating them. But uh, Andersonville has been the first for a lot of different environmental initiatives. Um, which is pretty fantastic. Yeah, I was in the pilot program for the first like community composting when it was first with Urban Canopy, which was great. Earlier this year, you uh, the EEC presented an updated strategic plan. Can you um, kind of explain what was inside that document and what are some of your goals for that here? Yeah, thank you for asking that because it's part of the strategic plan to share the strategic plan with our partners in, in the coalition. So uh, this was really an update and just a refining and of what we've always done. So uh, our mission and the strategic plan all comes out of the mission and vision. So our mission is that as a coalition of community members and environmental stewards, we bring a green voice to local challenges. We empower people to build and maintain a more sustainable future through action, organizing, education, advocacy and being rooted in a healthy and verdant Edgewater. So we have always and will continuing in our strategic plan serve as a community voice for environmental issues. So through our advocacy, through participating in lobby days, through having good relationships with our elected officials um, and participating in actions to make the changes that we need to see to deal with the climate crisis um, and environmental justice issues as well. And then we're always a place to advance tangible solutions for environmental challenges. So this kind of ties into doing pilot projects, doing a, the compost along Broadway, like 
anything that we can do to help facilitate initiatives on the ground that we can figure out if they work here, how they work here and be a model for other communities. Because there aren't very many other communities in Chicago that have a strong environmental like community group presence. Um, there's quite a few environmental justice organizations on the south and west side that do great work. And then we have, there's an organization, Rogers Park, called Resilient Rogers Park, and there's the 47th Ward Green Council in Ravenswood, Lincoln, Lincoln Square, I guess, as well. But those are like, that's kind of it. <laughs> um, there's a lot of holes in there. So we want to help facilitate the stuff that we're doing in Edgewater as being a more resourced community and help facilitate that across the city by being a model and doing these projects. Um, and then we are always open to new opportunities. Um, we welcome direct action or new opportunities for direct action for, by members or other community organizations working with us to, you know, do those things to get our hands dirty and uh, do things on the ground. So those are the, those are the highlights from our strategic plan. Thank you. And I think that's really the most important part is that um, you're developing a model that can be used, you know, pervasively throughout the city and even the country, which I think is like really cool. Um, looking forward, uh, although you do have the strategic, uh, excuse me, strategic plan, um, is there any projects or goals that you really want to see accomplished within the city of Chicago? Yes, many. <laughs> um, so we are a part of three larger collectives or coalitions. So uh, the first one is the Ready for 100 Chicago Coalition, which is following up on a resolution that city council passed in 2019 to move all of Chicago buildings to 100% renewable energy by 2035 and electrify the city's bus fleet by 2040. I might've gotten those dates switched, but one year lines with one, one lines with the other. So this is a really great we're a part of this group. It's community organizations and volunteers from around the city working with the mayor's office, working with their facilities to figure out how to actually accomplish this with robust community input. Um, it's all it's all buildings. It's not just municipal buildings. That is a ton of buildings and a ton of work. Um, so that is that is something we have to do. We have to decarbonize. We have to get our buildings on electricity. We have to do that in a just way that doesn't take advantage of less advantaged communities. Um, and protects our natural space as well. Um, and then we're also a member of the Democratize ComEd campaign, which is a campaign to democratize and municipalize our power. So rather than giving money to ComEd stakeholders who, you know, ComEd was found criminal uh, recently, um, this, our campaign would make our uh, power more similar to the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District where there is, elect there is an electi elected board um, that is administered for residents by residents. Uh, so we would have control of our own power choices, which would also allow for us to more fully decarbonize, give better low income assistance programs, um, and just make the whole system more equitable and just and give power and give us the power to, rather than rather than ComEd CEOs. Uh, and then the last one is Illinois Environmental Council which uh, they do work at the federal level and the state level. And pretty much anything the Envi Illinois Environmental Council does, uh, we will support. Um, they are great advocates um, in working with our state legislation and have a force in Chicago as well. So there's like things like the Native Plant Ordinance, the Urban Tree or Urban Forestry Advisory Board which was just passed. So there's, there's a lot going on there and a lot of asks and we're just like constantly pushing to make those things happen. Is there any topic that you wish everybody in the city of Chicago or even the state of Illinois or the United States would um 
understand more about the immediate dangers of climate change? I think for our region and for Chicago, the big, I think it's important for people to understand what the impacts are and what we're seeing on the ground so that we can, because climate change is so big, it's so hard to grasp, it's so scary. So like, what does that actually mean for us on the ground? And for us, it means more rain at times when we don't usually expect rain. So we had a super dry spring this year, we usually have heavy rain. So we're gonna see heavy rains in the winter and not when we normally see rain. We're gonna have, uh, the entire country just had its hottest June on record. So we're gonna have increasing temperatures and rainfall which causes flooding, people's basements back up. There's a lot of health issues with that. Um, so I think that like I, taking it out of like the ice cap and like just understanding what's happening in your neighborhood, because those are the things that we need to work on to be more resilient. We need to figure out how that people don't have sewage going into their basements so people can leave, live healthy, safe lives. And like, if, if we can bring it down to that ground level, then we can provide the solutions and work on the legislation and advocacy for the bigger stuff we need to see. But what are the solutions that we can put on the ground here that will make a difference? You mentioned the three other organizations that you, uh, coalitions that you work with. Um, if folks are interested in that, uh, we'll put those in the notes for when we release the podcast, as well as any information uh, connecting you with uh, the Edgewater Environmental Coalition. Renee, we're about to go into our rapid fire questions. Is there anything that you would like to talk about before we go into those? Uh, I just had two other projects I wanted to mention that might be of interest. So oh, I mentioned litter free already. So just one more. Um, we do have a plastics launch pad right now where we're trying to work with our favorite local restaurants to explain that we don't need plastic cutlery and that we would really love to see compostable disposables. I, you know, I, I love all the restaurants, all the local restaurants, and they've had such a hard year. Um, and so we're here to help. We're here to support. We have resources, but making that cutting out cutlery, it's a campaign that the Shed Museum is leading um, and something we're supportive of. Uh, maybe some restaurants have heard from our members. We've been asking members to reach out to our favorite restaurants and say, hey, we love you all. And like, could you consider these things? And we're here to help. Um, so we have uh, made that it's on our website and people can reach our plastics launch pad to reach out to your favorite restaurants to do the same with the resources we provide. I absolutely love that. Um, we're in conversations with Waste Not to see if we can get bulk purchasing. So maybe there's something that we can do there to connect uh, the cost related because some of my favorite restaurants, um, they serve them and, and I write the reviews that they're absolutely fantastic food, but um, I just bring in my own reusable uh, to-go container. So I don't have to worry about the styrofoam because it's 2021 and there's other options. So yeah, I love working that with you. Yeah, and it was, I mean, it was very scary last spring, you know, when COVID was very unknown about what was transferring it, but we've moved past that. We know that we can use reusable stuff again, that we don't need to be using the, we don't need to be using the disposable stuff. It's, it's completely safe to be reusing stuff again. Absolutely. Rapid fire questions. That just means that we're going to say them fast at you. You don't have to respond in a quick manner. How did you become first certified climate change professional, CC-P? So the city of Chicago actually had a training where the Association for Climate Change Officers came in to facilitate this training. And I convinced my boss to let me, to pay for me to go <laughs> and did the training, took the exams. And there you go. What is your favorite environmental project that you've worked on? Uh, my favorite thing is the natural area at the beach. 
Um, I, I love the beach. I, I go swimming every day in the summer <laughs> or every day I can. Um, and we have amazing plants out there and I just love being out in the dunes and it's just beautiful. Have you seen the, pl uh, the, the pipers, plovers? I've seen a lot of pictures of them. I've never actually seen them in person, <laughs> but we have a lot of, we have several plover watchers that are at EEC. Marjorie Fritzberg's being one who's really involved in much neighborhood stuff. They're my new heroes ever yeah. since they first were spotted. Uh, what is your favorite park, Illinois park, uh, or a spot to hike in and around Chicago? Uh, Winnemac Park is my favorite park. They have a beautiful prairie there. Um, favorite place to hike is hard. I, I mean, I, go, I got out to the forest preserves. There's a lot of nice forest preserves around. We are very fortunate that we have uh, those areas around. I just thought of one, the Openlands Lakeshore Preserve, which is up in Highland Park, is really nice. How has the COVID-19 pandemic affected your time working with the EEC? Moving to all virtual <laughs> was the big one. Um, we have a lot of members, you know, we really want to get together and see each other. And we've, we've done small stuff. When everything hit, it was like we were going to be out and about. It was, it was our 10-year anniversary, uh, the year of COVID. So we had poster boards printed. We had brochures printed. We were going to be out and about doing tablings. We were going to have a celebration. We were going to do awards. Um, you know, we were, going to, we were going to have a party to celebrate 10 years. And obviously none of that happened. And we instead, instead used our energies to rebrand. <laughs> like, okay, it's been 10 years. We can't do the party. Let's take this momentum and make the our internal organization more effective and aligned. Not as, not as fun, but still very important and exciting. Do you have any tips on uh, local city growers for starting their own uh, garden? Yeah, just <laughs> um, go to your local garden shop. I mean, they're oh, they're so helpful. Like, I mean, I go to, you know, I've been to Gethsemane like 10 times uh, this summer. <laughs> and they are they, so crazy busy. They will like answer all your questions. Um, start with basil and tomatoes. They're super easy and they're super fun. And like nothing gets better than just like, some mozzarella and a basil and some tomato in the summer and just build out from there. Experiment, have fun, see what works. Yeah, I kill about 30% of the things I plant. So like, it's going to, it's going to happen. I'm a very experienced gardener. So don't be discouraged. Uh, take what works and build on that and, you know, learn from what fails. My uh, roommate and I actually started our first onion farm. So cool. uh, that's going really nice. But, uh, garlic, garlic is a really fun one to plant too. If you have space right. to put garlic in over the winter, cause you put it in in October, November, and then you pull it up in June and you have garlic. It's great. We love all our root vegetables. They're great. That's impressive. Root vegetables are hard to grow in Chicago. So you, you got some skills. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I know you're 30%. Ours is more like 90%. <laughs> so, yeah. Root vegetables are hard. <laughs> Is there any environmental activists in Chicago that you look up to or that people should be following um, either on Instagram or Facebook uh, for further inspiration? Yeah, the first person I think of is Jen Walling, who she was an Edgewater resident for a long time. And she, I think she lives in Rogers Park now, but she she's the director of the Illinois Environmental Council. Uh, she used to work for Senator Staines. Um, she is just absolutely so knowledgeable and amazing and does and works so hard on environmental issues. Um, for the state and Chicago. I don't know what her handles are, but Jen Walling, Executive Director of the Illinois Environmental Council. We'll add in the handles for the recap. That's awesome. In your opinion, what is the most concerning aspect of climate change and what is something that we as individuals can do to prevent it? Uh, taking a depressing tone here. Um, so 
the most, <laughs> it's just so upsetting how much climate change has an impact disproportionately on people who are less advantaged in the world. So there has already been so much human migration because of climate issues, especially even at the US Southern border, like people's farms are not working in Latin America and they like do not have food and resources. So like they have to do something for their livelihoods and then try to come to a, another country and, you know, immigration and border walls and stuff. And it's just, it's gonna affect those people worse and worse. And I don't have solutions for that. And that is why I think we just have, we have to make where we live, where we live work. Um, and then support those people that are doing the very, the very much harder work in international aid and federal policy. Find what works for you and, and do that. As a uh, graduate of Loyola, as a environmental science major, uh, anyone who studies environmental science major in the future, it is the most depressing thing that you'll go through, but also so much can come from it. Like Renee, what is one technology that you've seen grow over the past 10 years that uh, have completely changed the way um, we can approach the environment and these issues, whether it's tech or solar power, anything that could give those little, those freshmen hope for the future? Because we're yeah, not dead yet. Yeah, I might go a little <laughs> bit, maybe of a different direction. Sure. I think bike share. Actually, I mean, transportation, transportation emissions are the number one emission source in this country. And a lot of that is from like big trucks and uh, logistics centers and hubs and like the Amazons and stuff. Um, but a lot of a lot of it, I don't have the actual numbers, but a lot of it is from personal vehicle emission. And the focus that uh, Chicago Department of Transportation has on getting divvies and electric scooters in places that don't have good transportation options. Um, I love riding the, the electric divvies are amazing. <laughs> they're so nice. <laughs> wish they wish they were included with your divvy membership, which they're not. But right? um, I mean, that was like an, I don't think there were bike share things 10 years ago. No, there wasn't. Yeah. No, that's, that's a solid answer. That's awesome. Yeah. I maybe wish they were more public and not so private, but they're great. And I love my divvy membership and I love biking. So it's like taking like an old school thing and applying like the new technology stuff to it for something that can make a difference. Get out, get and out of your like, car, get, get on a bike. It's like a hundred bucks. And that is like, well worth like that's a gallon of gas, like a fill up and yeah, you have and, an entire year. Yeah. My work also does that as a benefit. So all of our employees uh, have the free Divi benefit without having to pay for it. Could be another uh, Andersonville initiative. Love it, brainstorming, um, getting the ideas flowing. <laughs> you and me together, like there's like there's no stopping the yeah. amount of uh, ideas that we can come up with. Yeah, when David and I get together and talk about things, it's like, okay, we're gonna do a thousand things and they're all gonna be amazing. It's like, okay, we're actually gonna do like three of these and those things will be great. But we're <laughs> we're keeping the list of all the other stuff too. So this is a question that we ask all of our podcast folks, um, because there is probably maybe like top five answers, but it's just super interesting. But if you could run one Andersonville business for a day, like completely run it, which one would it be and why? <laughs> uh, it would be in fine spirits, so I can try all the wine. <laughs> it would be a wine tasting all day. All the wines I can't afford would be tasted <laughs> that day. <laughs> 
and would it be open to the public? Sure, why not? <laughs> I'm only CEO for one day, so I'm not responsible for the next day, right? Awesome. Uh, Renee, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, our website is sustainedgewater.org. Uh, we have monthly meetings uh, that everyone is welcome to attend the second Wednesday of the month every month. Go to our upcoming events page on our website. We've got some very cool garden workshops upcoming, and you can find out how to get plugged in, stay involved, and sign up for all the stuff we've talked about. And is that including Vegwater? Yes. Yeah. So the Vegwater Community Garden, we're doing workshops there this summer. So our upcoming event page has information RSVP on that. Uh, we have one in July and one in August and one in September. Thank you, Renee, for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville Podcast. For more information about Edwater Environmental Coalition, visit them on Instagram at Sustained Edgewater or contact them through their website at www.sustainededgewater.org. Show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org. Thanks for listening. Always Andersonville, the podcast, is produced by the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce and currently recorded on Zoom. We thank you for your listenership, and if you like the podcast, please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. We are also actively looking for podcast sponsors to sustain our projection. Please email us at info at andersonville.org for more information. Thank you for your continued support, for staying active in our community, and for staying always Andersonville.